Prayer is something that's relevant to everybody's life, right? Um, do you realize that prayer is like a global phenomenon? Uh, there's not a place on earth where, where prayer isn't. Uh, there's no civilization on the planet devoid of prayer. It's, it's global from Australia to Argentina, from Canada to Cambodia, from Mexico to Mongolia, from Ireland to India. Prayer is everywhere. Prayer is everywhere. Uh, crosses borders, cultures, nationalities, ethnicities, and history. It's just everywhere. There's not been a time in human history where we like graduated from it, right? We never moved past prayer. Um, it's almost as if, almost as if prayer is like built in. A desire for prayer is almost like innate inside, like it's, like it's written into our DNA. It's almost like instinctual that we would pray, the, the reflex to cry out or to look up at some points in our life. Carl, Carl Barth, a famous theologian, called this instinct to pray a part of human beings' uh, incurable God sickness. <laughs> incurable God sickness that uh, we can't seem to get away from this drawback to some kind of deity. I, I really like that phrase, incurable God sickness. So even if you're not a Christian today, even if you're not like religious today, there's something about prayer. Heck, I read a, a stat this week that said even 30% of atheists admit to praying on occasion. It just kind of comes out sometimes, right? Um, so even though prayer is a global phenomenon, even though prayer is in a lot of ways instinctual, I think a lot of Christians feel a little awkward in prayer. And maybe that's you. If you're a Christian today, maybe, maybe if you were really honest about prayer, you just, you just say, hey, it's a little bit awkward. Not that you don't know how to pray. You know how to pray. Um, but maybe it feels, it feels mechanical sometimes. It feels forced sometimes. Um, sometimes, if you're really honest, it feels like you're, you're forcing this thing and it doesn't feel like a, a conversation with God. It feels rigid. And maybe because it feels awkward sometimes, maybe what happens for you is like, Consciously or subconsciously, you have this like image of God up in heaven, like kind of rolling his eyes as you pray, like, come on, guys, like get it together. There's some angels off in the corner, like snickering at you as you stumble through your prayer. So maybe, maybe you feel weird about it. And maybe that weirdness causes you to not pray as much as you would if you didn't feel awkward. So if, if that's you, check this out. Um, I have this ongoing note in my phone uh, that I've had for years now, years now, an ongoing note, where I keep a log of all the words that my kids would say wrong as they learn to talk. Does anybody have this? Like, you remember them, but see, you don't remember them as good as you think. I started writing them down because um, I wanted to remember this. Let me share a couple. Uh, restaurant hardware. I, don't even, I still don't know how to spell that word. Um, but for the kids, it was restaurant. Restaurant, kind of like astronaut. Can we go to a restaurant, Daddy? I'm like, I don't know what that is, but okay. Uh, comfortable was comfortable. I can't get comfortable. Applesauce was applewassy. I don't even know. Uh, nativity, seasonal nativity, uh, was a nintivity, a nintivity, or Jesus house. Evidently, he lived there. Uh, Gideon had this, uh, Gideon's my oldest son. He had this Batman game that Batman has a grapple gun. You know, it's famous Batman grapple gun. He called it a grabble gun, because it grabbed things. Smart. So my favorite one to this day, uh, we are up at Barnes & Noble in Fairlawn. Uh, I don't know why, because everything in that store is like a million dollars. And they have, uh, if you've been up there, they have escalators in there, which again is like pretentious. Like, get out of here. It's just a little store. They need to have escalators. Like, Shut up. Um, 
So I still remember like walking through Barnes & Noble with Gideon was much smaller at the time. He goes, Daddy, can we go on the upscalator? <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, can we go on the upscalator? And then when we're up there, can we come back down on the downscalator? <laughs> and I'm like, that is awesome. I'm forever calling it that. That's better. He, <laughs> he improved upon the English language with the upscalator and the downscalator. Um, so here's the thing, though. Like, when my kids say things wrong, like, I don't get mad, right? Hey, moron, it's an escalator. Like, <laughs> no, I, honestly, I struggle to correct them at all, right? I, I struggle to correct them all. It brings me joy to hear them attempt to communicate. It's, 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 it's the deepest part of me that, that, that is joyful when they're trying to stumble through that. I love that. Matter of fact, the only reason I correct them is because I don't want Gideon as a teenager to be in the mall somewhere with his buddies and going, hey, let's go on the escalator and have them make fun of us. It's the only reason I correct it at all, right? I love it. All the wrong words, I love them. That's why I write them down. So what I want you to see, like if you feel awkward in prayer, if you feel like you're not saying the right words, man, like don't get caught up in that. I don't think God is rolling his eyes at all. I think he delights in our attempts to communicate with him. Like on the deepest level, he delights in it. He'd rather you pray wrong, whatever that means, than not at all. He'd rather you pray wrong than not at all. So what I want to do today is I want to look at a story about a woman who has an actual conversation with Jesus. Now, she's in the presence of Jesus. She's actually talking to him. But for our like, purposes, we're going to call that a prayer, okay? Because for us, when we talk to Jesus, it's a prayer. For her, it was a real-life conversation. But we're going, to, we're going to learn about prayer from this conversation that this woman has. And I want you to know, um, she prays wrong, like on the surface, you're going to look at this and you're going, that feels wrong. Maybe she should shut up now. Like you're going to think stuff like that. But she just keeps going. And I think we can learn a lot uh, from this woman. So the story starts in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Uh, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A uh, Gentile woman uh, there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Uh, so Jesus is traveling. He runs into this woman who this verse describes as a Gentile, which if you don't know what that is, it's just somebody who's not Jewish. That's all that is. Uh, and um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Jewish people are a really big deal. Um, they're what the Bible calls the God's chosen people. So it's a really big deal to be one of them. And it means something to not be one of them. So this woman is not one of them. And she comes up to Jesus and begs for help. She says her daughter has a demon. Now we don't get any more context besides that, right? We don't know how she knows that. We don't know what the consequences of it are. I will say from context clues in the story, it sure looks like it's not a pleasant experience. Um, she... Uh, she has an angst and a desperation to her that it, it seems like this is not a great situation, that she is really struggling and she really wants something to happen with her daughter. So that's verse 22. Verse 23, I just want to warn you, is surprising, okay? But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. So, first impressions. Can I be the first one to say it? That's mean. Right? Jesus? The question, why? That... But when I know about Jesus, that's unexpected, right? That's a little surprising that he would not, he's straight up ignoring her. And then piled on top of that, he ignores her to the point that his disciples 
or even more mean and be like, she's annoying. Tell her to go away. Now, I want to get into here in a minute um, the next verse, actually. Jesus kind of gives us the answer to the question why he does this. But before we do that, can we look at this verse through the lens of prayer for just a moment? Have you ever prayed for something and felt like Jesus gave you no reply, not even a word? You ever felt like that? Like, like it feels like you get no answer. Um, like, like, like maybe you're just talking to yourself. You, you ever feel like that before? Like it's just, it's just a conversation with you and, and it doesn't really go anywhere. I just want to acknowledge that can be really hard, super discouraging. And uh, I also want to acknowledge, I think that everyone's been there. That even the best veteran spiritual prayer warriors have experienced no reply, not even a word. Everyone's been there. And I know, so yeah, I know we got some church people here. Yeah, come on, let's do this. God always answers prayer. Shut up, okay? I know. I know he always answers prayer, but it doesn't feel like it, does it? Can we just be real here? See, this is what we do in church. Well, God always answers prayer, so I know it's either yes, maybe, or wait. Shh, I know, I know. But it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it feels silent. Sometimes it's way harder than that. And uh, she doesn't get an answer. She doesn't get an answer. Everyone's been there. So the question is not, how can I adjust my prayer life so that this doesn't happen? That's not really the question. The real question is, what are you going to do when it does happen? That's the question. So, so how will you respond when you pray, even a desperate prayer, even one of those ones that's like all the way from all the way down in the soul, you pour your soul out and it's nothing. How are you going to respond to that? Because can I, can I be honest? If this is most of us in this room, this is the end of the story, right? If you're crying out, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, and Jesus goes, you're going to go, okay, and you're going to walk away. But that's not what this woman does. That's not at all what this woman does. So maybe the first lesson we can learn from this woman is don't walk away when heaven is silent. Don't walk away when heaven is silent. She, she doesn't disengage. She doesn't stop. Matter of fact, she's a little bit, it, it, it edges on, on annoying where she just doesn't let go. And, and I would suggest that with you. If you pray and you're, you're crying out to God, can, trying to connect with God and you get nothing back, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Because if, if this were the end of the story, that would be a really, really sad story. Really sad story. So this woman has Jesus ignore her and the added insult of the disciples who are telling her, hey, woman, shut up. <laughs> you're, you're annoying. Um, and then verse 24, Jesus answers the question. Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So if you're asking the question, why did Jesus ignore her? This is why. This is what he says. But what does this mean? I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So um, I don't have time to go into the massive theological monster that is, why, why does God care so much about Israel? Why, are God, why are, is Israel God's chosen people? And, and why, are, why are they such a key uh, focal point throughout all of history, even up to this day? I, I don't have time to go into all that. Um, I can just tell you that from the beginning, God picked Israel to, to be the, the, nation, the Nathan, nation through which he moves. Okay, he's going to move through Israel. And, and Jesus is saying here that, hey, like my orders from on high when I came down here was to deal with Israel. 
I'm here to share the gospel with Israel. And really, this is an order thing. The Jews were to receive the gospel, the good news, first, and then the Gentiles, the rest of us, were going to get it. Because remember, at the end of the story, at the end of Jesus' story, he sends his disciples into the whole world, right? He, he says, tell everyone about it. So, but it's, it's really order. It's, it's the Jews are going to receive this thing first, and then the Gentiles. So what he was really telling this woman is not no, he was saying not now. Not now. I, Jews first, Gentiles second. So that's the answer. Which, honestly, is not much better than no answer at all, right? You ever been there? Ever, ever been in a place where God says, not now? It is unpleasant, because you never know when now will be. Now, verse 25, look, what, look how she responds. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. So first she gets no answer, and mocked a little bit. Then she gets a very firm from Jesus himself, not right now, woman, we're not doing this. And she's still coming. It, it almost, so if you like kind of look at the story, it seems like maybe she was from a distance, like pleading and begging, and they're walking along the road, and the disciples are like, geez, tell her to go away. But then when Jesus, when he engages even a little bit, when she gets a glimmer of something from him, she comes tearing after him, and she falls at his feet, and, and she just begs, help me. Now, <laughs> if you thought, the verse where Jesus ignored her was surprising. Brace yourself for this one, because here's how Jesus responds in verse 27. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Okay, so if I'm Jesus' PR person, I'm like, don't say that. If he tweeted that today... Every Christian conference he'd be cut from, right? He'd cancel this guy. He called a woman a dog. Like, you can't call anybody a dog. You can't call a woman a dog. Jesus, what are you doing, right? So us in the 21st century, we're, we're reading this, um, <laughs> and we can't believe that Jesus would talk like this, but we, we need to remember two things. Number one, there is 2,000 years between us sitting here, offended by this, and where Jesus is and the culture that he's in. So there's a big difference between the, the culture he lived in and the culture we live in. Um, so, so the first thing I want you to know is that when he says this to the woman, she's not offended by it. It doesn't even register on her radar. She just keeps right on going. So, so that's the first thing you should know. If you're offended by this, just know that she wasn't. So, so a lot of stuff has happened since then, but back then this, this was not a thing that was super offensive. And then the, the second thing I want you to see is that this is an illustration, again, of order. You're not going to not feed your dog, but you're not going to feed them first either. So it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Children would come first, the dog would come second. And maybe you don't understand that because you have a pantry full of food. But back then, if they had a loaf of bread, that's all there was, right? So, so they're going to set it on the table. The kids are going to get that first. And then if crumbs fall off and scraps, then the dogs will receive some food. So it's order. It's order. So... Again, the feel of this story, the, the flow of this story. She gets ignored. She gets made fun of. Jesus tells her not now. Now Jesus is calling her a dog, saying, you're not getting any of the food that I'm preparing for people of Israel. <sighs> Look at how she answers. Verse 27. That's true, Lord. See, she's not offended. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. 
So I'm not, fine, I'll be the dog in this story, no problem. But, but she's not even deterred by that. She embraces this illustration and says, I'm okay with being the dog in the, in the illustration because I know that kids are messy eaters. And if I'm a dog in this illustration, I'm not going away with nothing, right? And how many of you can attest to this? That, listen, the only reason we have a dog is to clean up under the... This is the only reason she is crumb control. And I'll even tell you this, we don't even feed her. She just eats that and she makes it. And she's not skinny. I just want you to know that that's how messy our kids are. She, she pre-washes before we go in the dishwasher and she cleans under the table and she's good. She's good. So maybe this isn't as bad of a story as we make it out to be, like Jesus using this as an illustration. She knows, hey, I'm okay. If, if I'm a dog, I'm in the house. You know, like that's a, I'm, I'm there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in your presence. That means something, right? So she uses this. She uses this. And maybe this is something we can learn from this woman. It's not what she says. It's the attitude that she's saying it with. It's her disposition. It's the posture of her heart. She does not come to Jesus with an entitled attitude, does she? Not at all, right? Um, she's not, oh, you won't help my daughter? Let me see a manager, right? Like, she, she doesn't do that, right? She's, not, she's like, settle down, Karen. She's not doing that, okay? I'm sorry, Karen. It's not you. The internet has spoken to all the Karens. I'm sorry. It's just... No, she's asking. And here's the thing that's hard in prayer. I just want to point this out. I've struggled with this before. She just doesn't shut up. She will not leave him alone. She's, she just keeps coming, coming, coming. But she's also humble. And I think sometimes that's a hard tension to hold when you're in prayer. Because usually if you're asking, 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 it's kind of with an entitled attitude. And we have plenty of interaction with that when we have kids, right? But if you can stay consistent in prayer and stay humble, oh my gosh. I feel like God does stuff with that. And, and that's what I want to ask you. Like, what's your disposition when you pray? Do you come at God with this like, hey, you kind of owe me some stuff here. You know, you created me, so I guess you should give me some. Do you, ha- do you have that little bit of that attitude? And listen, only you can, only you can decide this. Right? I, I don't know. I don't know what your prayers are like. I don't know what your attitude is. I don't know what your disposition of your heart is when you cry out to God. I don't know. But what is it? Is it humble? Is it, is it um, desperate, like this woman? Is it a humble servant or a spoiled child? What's your attitude towards God when you're asking for something? What's the posture of your heart? Because I think, and listen, this is really important. I think the posture of your heart is more important than the words that you say in, in prayer. I think you could say the wrong words, but if you have the right heart, God will really love that. So watch your heart. Now, you've come... All the way through, all this, this woman just keeps on coming. And Jesus is going to respond here. Now, if we listen to the momentum of the story, it seems like, what do you, I mean, how do you think Jesus is going to respond? Like, listen, woman, <laughs> did I stutter? Like, go away, right? Like, we're, we're done here. Why are you still asking me? But he doesn't. Verse 28. Dear woman, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. That, uh, man, a verse messes me up every time I read it. Because it's like you don't see it coming in the story. You read this whole story and you're like, oh man, he's like really determined to keep going where he was going and he's going to keep doing the thing that God told him to do. And then wham! He just shifts and says, okay, okay. 
breakthrough. So I want to see two things in this. First is that Jesus values persistence in prayer. Jesus values persistence in prayer. And that is super counterintuitive, right? When our kids ask us for something over and over and over again, uh, we get super annoyed. Yes? Amen. You should, if you're ever going to say something, uh, ever say amen to something in church, you should say amen to that. Um, because kids just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And if I say the sentence as a dad, ask me again, it's a threat. But God's, God's totally different. He's like the exact opposite. He repeatedly in the Bible says, ask me again, ask me again, ask me again. And it's an invitation, not a threat. So it's this weird thing. You almost have to like shift your mind. What if part of your problem in prayer is that you're like too polite with God? And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean like disrespectful on purpose. What I mean is that you think, I asked him, he's God, he knows Right? I'm going to be really polite. Or God, I don't think you like wrote it on a post-it note and it like fell behind your desk in heaven and you've forgotten about it. I'm, I, don't, I know you know. I actually, it's part of my, like, I have this high view of God and it actually works against me here because I actually believe that he does already know what I'm asking. He knows what I'm going to ask before I walk into that throne room. So I'm just going to be respectful and be like, well, you know. <laughs> but what if that's not the way God wants it to work? What if God actually wants us to keep asking even though he already knows? So there are two reasons I think you should be persistent in prayer. The first one's obvious. I think there are some things you will not receive in your life apart from persistent, repetitious prayer. You catch that? I think there are some things that you will not receive in your life apart from persistent, repetitious prayer. This woman's daughter was healed through the conduit of her persistent requests. If she'd stopped at one, it doesn't look like it would have happened. That's a big deal. The second reason I think you should be persistent in prayer is a little less obvious. I think persistent prayer does something to you. It causes you to like deepen your thoughts about the thing that you're praying for. It causes you to converse with God about the things you're asking. It causes you to check your motives about the thing you're asking for. And it gives time as God uh, allows you to just keep asking for the thing. It gives time for your heart to move. You're not the same person you were when you started asking for it than than when he finally gives it to you. Something happens inside of you in that process of just, I'm not going to stop asking God. I'm not going to stop asking. And you're not going to do that disrespectfully. You're not going to do it because you think you deserve it. You're going to keep asking God because he is the king and he is the only one who can help you. He's the only one who can move this thing that you're praying about in your life. He's the only one. So it's actually the most respectful thing you can do. Luke 18.1 says this. One day Jesus told his disciples a story about how they should always pray and never give up. Uh, That's the NLT. It says always pray. It it could also say keep praying. How they should keep praying and never give up. Or uh, keep praying and not lose heart. You know how hard that is. You, you, know, you know, right? Because if you've ever prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something and, and, and the answer, like, it, it's not happened yet, you know that you can lose heart, right? It's, it's this uh, discouraging thing. It's not like a, a choice. It's not a conscious choice. Like, well, forget this. It's almost like uh, an erosion on the inside as you continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray and you kind of start to lose heart. But Jesus tells this story in response to that. And the story he tells, uh, and I'm not going to read it to you. I'll just tell it to you. Um, is about this widow who comes to this judge who's not a believer in God, not even, it doesn't even, he's like a not a good guy. He's, he's not a good judge. 
And she comes to this guy and she keeps asking for something and asking and asking and asking. She will not leave him alone. And this judge, who does not believe in God, is not a good guy, gives her the thing she asks for. And then Jesus says at the end of the story, pray like that. Be like that woman. Be annoying in prayer. Just don't let me go. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And he tells that to make sure that our hearts don't become discouraged. He says, no, 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 I want you to keep asking. Don't walk away yet. Don't walk away yet. Keep asking. Keep asking. There are some things in your life right now that you are supposed to pray for over and over and over and over again. And you're not supposed to feel weird about it. You're supposed to keep praying for it. The same prayer. It'll be a little different. Not the exact same like word for word prayer, but the same thing. It should get to the point, I think, when you walk into the throne room and God's like, you again, and you're like, same thing. (laughs) Here we are again. And I think he likes it. I think he smiles. I think there's something about God that loves that you're just going to keep going to him because you know he's the only one who can do it and you're just going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. He likes it. Now, the last thing I want you to see in this story is the most amazing thing. I mean, look at this story. It's short. This Gentile woman begs and pleads with Jesus. She persists with Jesus to the point that he grants her request. That's just crazy. It's a crazy story. It's a little short thing, but it's crazy. And uh, So, jump forward in time 600 years. I'm sure you know exactly what was happening in the earth. 600 AD. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. But if you jump to the island of uh, United Kingdom, Britain, uh, there was a Saxon king uh, of Northumberland named Ethelfrith. Sweet name, if you're looking for a name for a son. Ethelfrith. Uh, pagan king. Pagan king. Didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus. Listen to me. Did not believe in God. He was a pagan king. Christianity had barely reached the British islands. Okay? So, so he was pagan. Actually fighting against the Christians who were coming in. Okay? Um, so they were getting uh, ready to invade Wales at the time. So he's coming, coming down uh, and he's observing, uh, getting uh, orders and, and kind of getting his, his army in place to fight uh, the Britons who were coming. Um, and he notices, so he's, I don't know, just imagine, and there's not a ton of details in the story, but he's, you know, just imagine kind of up on a hill and he notices in the enemy army that there's a group of men who are unarmed. And as a general, he's like, so he asks one of his captains, what's that? What are these guys doing over here with no, no weapons? What is this? And his captains say, oh, those are monks. Uh, to pr- they came to pray for your enemies so that they would win. And Ethelfrith, a pagan king, turns to his captain and says, tomorrow, kill them first. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? The king, this pagan king, Ethelfrith, should strategically attack the guys with swords first. Right? That's just, I just, I don't know if you guys know that. I don't know if you're advanced enough in the army to know. You should attack the guys that have weapons first. It's just, it's just a thing. I could check with some of you who've been in the army, but I think that's, that's, that sounds right. Um, instead, he chooses to attack the guys who don't have any physical weapons at all. They just, they just have prayer. So you know what's sad about that story? Besides the fact that he did just that and he killed him, and then he won the battle. That's sad. Um, the sad part is that this pagan king who does not have faith in our God seems to believe in the power that comes through prayer more than we do. He made a strategically stupid decision unless you believe that prayer does something. 
So here, what I want to share with you is, I think, one of the most spectacular truths in the story. It's, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's top five most spectacular truths about God. Let me give you the top four. This is five. I don't have the four in order because I can't decide in order, but let me give you four. Number one, that God created the universe at all. That is spectacular to me. Galaxies, stars, supernovas, oceans, mountains. I could go further, but as G-Kid Sunday, there's some really awesome things in this world. That's spectacular to me. It's not number one, but it's up there. Number two is that creator would step into creation. That, that he came down into this world and became one of us. Christmas is, is in my top four most spectacular things about God. That he actually said, you know what, I'm coming down there. And then three, that he died. The cross. That the reason he came down was the cross. And, and, and that, by the way, if you're, if you're not familiar, I, I kind of feel like that's a miracle in and of itself. That he died. Not that he came back to, we'll get to that one here in a second, but that he died. It's kind of like making water not wet. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you kill the source of life? Like, that's the fact that he died is wild, spectacular. And the reason he did it, he didn't have to. He chose to, he chose to die in our place for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. Like, that, that's crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a truth too big to even be contained. I can't wrap my brain around it. And then number four, obviously, the fact that he came back to life. The fact that he resurrected, the fact that he's like the only guy in history who borrowed a grave, right? The only guy in history who just said to death, no, I'm good, thanks. Like, that, that, that's crazy to me. And then, number five for me, number five most spectacular truths about God is that prayer moves God. That's wild to me. That's wild to me. It's, it's absurd that the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe would move even a millimeter because I asked him to. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. Listen, one of the things my three-year-old's saying to me right now is, no, 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 daddy. He says that on repeat over and over and over again. No, 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 daddy. No, 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 daddy. And he's telling me, a 36-year-old man, what to do about how his cracker should be put in a bowl or what, how many ice cubes should be put in his glass. No, 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 daddy. But listen, and that's annoying, right? I just want to kick that little three. <laughs> but the fact, the distance between me and God, I mean, look at the distance between me and my three-year-old and the distance between me and God, it, it's a joke, right? I, God is way higher above me than I am above my three-year-old. And yet when I ask God something, God bends down to me and goes, okay, we'll do it like that. That's crazy. That's crazy. The Bible repeatedly says, listen, I mean, you should, you should be blown away by that. I know we kind of get used to prayer, but my goodness, the fact that the creator of the universe would somehow fold our prayers into his will, like that's crazy. That the sovereign God of the universe would allow our prayers to affect his will. And I know I just said a sentence that bothers some of your theology, but shut up. The Bible says it, man. It says it. The prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. That God moves because we pray that somehow he, the, when he wrote the DNA of the universe, he said, okay, now I'm in charge and I'm all powerful and I'm all knowing, but I'm going to allow them to help create with me once they're there. I'm going to actually let them pray to me and I'm going to move because they prayed. Somehow he worked that in to the way he created this thing. That means... That there are some things that don't happen because we don't pray. And that's a crazy sentence. 
That's what James says, right? You don't have because you don't ask. You'd have if you asked, but since you didn't ask, you don't have it. Not that you would have it anyways because God had decided before the creation of the earth that you were going to have it. No, he said, I'm waiting for you to pray. And if you pray, you get it. If you don't, you don't. So check this out. I, like This story, part of what blew me away about this story about this Gentile woman um, was right at the very end. So the Lord's Prayer, you all know the Lord's Prayer, right? You, even if you're not super into church, you know the Lord's Prayer. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Super important little line in there. Thy will be done. We're praying to God, his will be done. But the end of the story, when, when Jesus says to the woman, hey, your, your daughter's healed. When Jesus says that, he literally says, if you look in the King James Version, uh, he says to her, be it even as thou will. He uses the same word that's used in uh, the Lord's Prayer to her. Like, so we say, thy will be done. He said to her, no, thy will be done. You kept praying, you kept asking, you kept asking, you kept asking. I'm going to move. I'm going to move because you asked me. He somehow folds her will into his will. Man, if that doesn't mess you up a little bit, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Jesus was going to walk away. Do you see that in the story? This is not a head fake. This is not I'm winking at Peter over here like, watch this. He's not. No, he is walking away. He is done. I'm not going to do that. That's not why I'm here. And she would not leave him alone to the point that he turns around and says, dear woman, your faith is great. She's healed. And she wasn't going to be healed if she hadn't kept asking. That's crazy. It's as if he handed this woman like the pen of history and said, write it. You, You can have it for a second. And she writes healed over her daughter and he does it. That's crazy. Bet you feel pretty dumb for not praying right now. So I want to do something a little bit different. Um, I had planned for this to be more impactful. I didn't. Where's Jonathan? Is he here? He left. He was bored. There he is. So um, it shouldn't be weird because we're in church. You on some level should expect these kind of things. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a minute maybe two, to pray. You. I pray. I prayed already. I'll pray again. But I want you to pray. Um, I want you... Well, if you know what I mean, I'll say this. I want you to pray for that thing. If you know, you know. That thing you've been asking for. That thing that you keep coming back for. I want you to pray for that. I want you to not, today, take this moment and pray for that and pray again and pray boldly like this woman with a little bit of heart, with a little bit of desperation. Grab a hold of the, the, grab a hold of that robe and don't let go and say, no, 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 come on, Lord, help me, help me. Don't let go. And if you don't have one of those, I guess I want to suggest that you pray for something big, not something easy. Pray for something impossible. Whatever God moves in your heart, pray for that thing. And then one more thing just to round it all the way out. If you're not a Christian, not religious, kind of just sitting here like, okay, we're just going to have some quiet time, right? For you, I guess I just want you to just try it. Talk to God. 
If you're really feeling drawn by him, talk to him. Ask him to help you uh, understand who he is. Ask him uh, to show himself to you. I think he likes that prayer. So let's just take some time right now and I want to give you, I'm going to shut up for about two minutes. I just want you to pray. So go ahead. Why don't you start that right now? If you're still praying, keep praying. Don't let me distract you from that. That's more important than listening to me. But uh, I started mine with me again, God. I have two things that I pray pretty consistently. That's way, what's the opposite of an exaggeration? I pray them all the time. Um, One is, I'll share them with you. One is for my kids. That's why this kind of stuff, watching them up here kind of messes me up because I've, I've prayed repeatedly that God would use them like more than me, that I would be like a stepping stone to even something even greater than that. So I pray that all the time over them. And, and for me, that's a scary thing. You know, pastor's kids can be kind of messed up. I don't know if you know that. So <laughs> I really want them to like not have a time where they just walk away from that, but that God would just fold them in quick. Um, and then the second thing, I pray for annoyingly often for the past like eight years is that God would do something with this church and like something like <sighs> different and, and I know that sounds like arrogant to some people like oh your church is special I want it to be I want God to use this church to mess up whatever the devil's doing in Wadsworth you know what I'm saying like I want to I want to see God move in a way that that he doesn't usually move and I'm I'm being like this woman I'm just grabbing a hold of his robe and saying I want you I want to see you move I want to see you move I want to see you move and I know you haven't done stuff like this in a while but I want to see you just mess this city up for you pray that a lot so I told you that because I want you to start praying too come on guys Enough about me. I don't know what your thing was. But don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep pouring out your soul to him. All right, I'm going to pray now. Jesus, um, man, I, I don't even think I could express what it is, Lord. This thing that you let us do, this, this ability to speak into the way you run the universe, Lord.
I pray that I did it okay. I pray that the truth landed on people's hearts today, Lord, that they would have a piece of this just awe, that, that this spectacular thing, that you allow us to speak into that. I pray that we would be drawn to that, Lord. Not that we would pray more. I, I don't even mean pray more. I just mean be drawn into your presence to, to be blown away that you let it happen, Lord. I, I just pray that like a magnet we're drawn in. And I pray for everybody here, Lord, the people who are pouring their hearts out about that thing that they've been praying for over and over and over again. Lord, I pray that you would keep moving in their heart, Lord, and that you would do the thing. I pray for the people who haven't prayed enough to, to have a thing that they would be drawn in, Lord. And I pray for the people who don't know you yet. That there would be something that they couldn't get away from. But they would be drawn to you and see the truth. And I pray that you would use this church to do something crazy. That we would uh, just kind of hold this church up for you to use it and, and that you would mess up this city, that you would uh, tear down the gates of hell with this church.